Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. You know, we all have hopes and dreams, but they don't turn into actual dreams. It's important to develop ways to track your success. If you don't have quantifiable measurements, then you really don't know if you've made any progress. In this episode, you will learn how to create those measurements to help you achieve your dreams. Dr. Jeff Stanbridge helps organizations and leaders disrupt, disrupt the status quo and generate sustained results in the areas of innovation, strategy, profit growth, organizational effectiveness, and leadership. He has started and started to manage multiple companies across North and South America, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. In this episode, Dr. Stanley reviews his best-selling book, The Top for Performers Field Guide, a catalyst for leaders, superstars, and all of those of all who... Let me try that again. The Top Performers Field Guide, catalyst for leaders, superstars, and all who aspire to be. This book will give specific tools and techniques to help you be a top performer in this year and beyond. Well, thank you for being here, Jeff. It's a pleasure being here. I appreciate you. Well, thank you. So how did you get to be at the point you are now giving this advice to people? I mean, it, it certainly has been a journey for you. It, ha- it has been a journey, and, and that's kind of a loaded question because um, I, I, I tell people that I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Uh, I've, had, I've had the pleasure of being in multiple careers over my lifetime. I'm a, I grew up in a small town, uh, about 28 people in my graduating class, and that was not an elite private school. That was a public school in the, in the, in the south part of the state of Arkansas. And uh, uh, was a first-generation college student, worked my way through college, crammed a four-year degree into five and a half years. And uh, I um, uh, ended up becoming uh, working in the healthcare field for, for a large portion of my career. Uh, I was a paramedic and a respiratory therapist. I joined the military. I was a combat medic in the, uh, in the National Guard. And um, uh, while I was a professor at the University of Arkansas for medical sciences, after I had spent several years on a uh, in the back of an ambulance and on a helicopter team for one of the largest children's hospitals in the country, uh, I took a faculty position at the University of Arkansas for medical sciences. And what I was noticing there, and this was at the ages of, you know, 25, 27, I was president of a, of a, of a state association of respiratory therapists. And I, and I noticed that people were graduating from our program. Some folks would graduate with an A average and they wouldn't, they really couldn't hold a job. 
Others would graduate with a C average and they would be fantastic professionals. And I could see real, no real correlation there in terms of um, uh, how to predict who was going to be successful and who wasn't. And so I started studying that uh, as an academic. I started studying the differences between top performers and average performers across multiple disciplines. I started in the healthcare field. A few years later, uh, uh, a large publicly traded data and technology company came to me and asked me to do the same thing. I uh, ended up uh, spending about 20 years with them after I did the research inside their business and changed the way they hired uh, uh coached, developed, and compensated employees, I actually moved into uh, the different aspects of the business. And I got the opportunity to to try out that academic research, if you will, on five continents. Isn't that interesting? So do you want to share some of that information with us now, Jeff? Sure. Uh, interesting, because this is something that's gone on for years. Mm-hmm. I believe it was Napoleon Hill, uh, the author of Think and Grow Rich, that that did a very similar project at the turn of the century where That's he right. studied the top leaders in business and tried to figure out what makes them tick. And, and he came up with some principles there. And I'd be very surprised if you didn't come up with some of the same principles now. So I was very heavily influenced by Napoleon Hill's work. Uh, I was very heavily influenced by Stephen Covey's work, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, I was uh, very heavily influenced by Daniel Goleman's work, Emotional Intelligence. And, uh, you know, people ask me if I could distill down, you know, the very first thing that I learned is that there's a difference between what I call threshold differentiators or threshold competencies and differentiating competencies. So, for instance, the the prototypical example that I've used is, the best dentist in the world didn't become the best dentist because of the way he could or she could identify a cavity, fill a cavity, extract a tooth, do a root canal. You have to do those things to be able to be a dentist. Those are those are threshold competencies. Uh, but he or she probably became one of the best dentists in the world by virtue of how they treated their employees, how they treated their patients the degree to which they planned for their business practice to become or their their dental practice to become a a good thriving practice, how they held themselves accountable to those plans and what have you. And so helping people understand that just because you have a degree in this or a degree in that, just because you have these credentials behind your name or those credentials behind your name, uh, those are many times just threshold. They're table stakes. You have to have them to play the game. Uh, but just because you have them doesn't mean you're going to be the best in the world at it. And so what I've really done is step back and boil down all of those things that Napoleon Hill found, that Stephen Covey found, that Daniel Goleman found, that my own research found. I've really boiled it down into two R's. And I like to talk about the uh, having a, a set of scales, actually the old-fashioned legal scales, right, where you uh, or the scales of justice, so to speak, where you put a, a known weight on this side and you measure the weight on this side. And and I have a, a set of those here in my office just to remind me. But on each side, there are results and there are relationships. And if I focus on results at the uh, expense of relationships, I'm going to be wildly successful very, very quickly. 
That is until I alienate everyone around me who's responsible for helping me maintain those results. And then I'm going to lose them both. If I focus on relationships at the expense of results, uh, people will love me. They'll love to be around me. They'll love to spend time with me. That is until they lose respect for me because I can't do what I say I'm going to do when I say I'm going to do it. And therefore, I lose them both. And so we all have tendencies one way or the other. Some people are more attuned to results. Other people are more attuned to relationships. We all tend to to lean one way or the other. But being able to step back and recognize that it really requires a delicate balance between the two. And it's like walking a tightrope uh, every day between how hard am I pushing for results versus how hard am I investing in the people who are responsible for helping me get and maintain those results? Behind this all, correct me if I'm wrong, is every person that becomes really successful has a hunger. They have a driving passion to be the best at what they want to be. That's right. Make both results and relationships happen because they want because of this driving passion, wherever it comes from, that forces them to to want to be the best. That's right. Uh, in fact, Napoleon Hill called it a definiteness of purpose and a burning desire for its achievement. And, and you know, it's, it's a very interesting trait. And, and I think Steve Covey covered that in his book, too, as mm-hmm. one of the traits that are one of the habits of the highly successful people. And, and they they needed to fulfill that in order to be fulfilled. That's right. That's exactly right. They they know where that, you know, it's been said before and I can't remember who actually said it, 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 it uh, but he said the world makes way for the for the man who knows where he's going. And certainly the woman who knows where she's going, the world makes way for them. And so uh, if we don't know where we're going, then it doesn't matter when we get to a crossroads or an intersection because any direction would be just as good as the other. And so knowing where we're going, having a laser-like focus on that direction, uh, that really enables us to be able to make the right decisions along the way when we're faced with tribulations or trials or difficulties or obstacles to know which detour or which go-around is going to to enable us to overcome that obstacle, but but to keep us on track to where we're ultimately going in the in the end. And no doubt, those trials and tribulations are going to occur. You know, there's no doubt that those trials and tribulations will happen. They always occur, and they happen to everybody. That's right. They happen to everyone. If they're not happening, then we're probably not hard. We're not working hard enough. We're not trying hard enough. Our the 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 end result or the aspirational achievement is probably not high enough if it's easy and we're not experiencing any trials and tribulations along the way. You know, uh, people do fail. And failure does not mean you're not going to be successful. You know, I, I look at. Colonel Sanders, who formed Kentucky Fried Chicken, and hundreds of times he was turned down before he found somebody that would accept his special recipe and invest in his company so that he could make his first story. So you've got Colonel Sanders, you've got Albert, uh, or I'm sorry, you've got Thomas Edison. Uh, Well, you've got Albert Einstein, who who, uh, had his own degree of difficulty. But Thomas Edison, whom they say failed several thousand times at 
at uh, uh, inventing the incandescent light bulb successfully. And someone said, how can you keep going after thousands of failures? And he said, I didn't have thousands of failures. I now know thousands of ways that it won't work. Uh, and that helped me narrow down the one that it would. Or or um, uh, Mark Victor Hansen and, and his co-author, uh, 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 Jack Canfield, who wrote uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. They were turned down by over 100 publishers before they finally found the one publisher, 10 Speed Press, uh, that published their book that made it the the uh, greatest selling book series of all times. They've, they've sold hundreds of millions of copies. Uh, you know, I like to say that there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. Uh, that's one of my, my statements is it's, if you really take every temporary setback and you view it as an opportunity to learn and to hone your approach and hone your direction, it's really not failure. It's just feedback. It only becomes failure if you quit. That's the only time it's failure. I think that's true. But I think sometimes you know, people have to wonder when they need to quit, whether that something's not going to be successful or whether uh, they should proceed on. Do you have any advice to that? You know, um, that's a good that's a good question. I'm also an investor and uh, I I, uh, co-lead a couple of investment funds with with some of my colleagues where we invest in early stage companies. And, you know, there is a concept of throwing good money after bad. I will give you that when uh, you invest in a uh, an investment, whether it's a publicly traded company in the market or it's a or it's a small startup company and, and that, that investment doesn't turn out the way you originally thought, or maybe the stock price goes down and you say, well, I'm going to throw some more money and average down. And then it goes down further and you throw some more money and average down, you know, uh, that's called throwing good money after bad. And, uh, and so sometimes we have to be willing to step back and take a look at. Uh, is our de- destination or is our aspirational destination realistic? Uh, sometimes uh, soliciting some outside feedback is, is really successful or really helpful in, in helping you to determine whether you're being unrealistic about the time frame or, or the, the de- destination or what have you. So I like to do what we call uh, customer discovery. So who are, who are some of the people, if it's a business endeavor, for instance, and, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to, to start a business or I've started a business and I'm trying to be successful and it's just not happening like I wanted. Uh, we like to teach our entrepreneurs to, to identify the people who can benefit most from whatever the solution is that you have or that experience the problem that you're trying to solve the most and go out and do some qualitative inquiry, so to speak. Go out and have some conversations with those folks and find out. Uh, is is what you're creating something that that would benefit enough people to actually be a a viable ongoing business? Uh, if it's a personal achievement, sometimes seeking guidance and advice from those that we uh, that we trust and hold dear. It can be a spouse, it can be a an, a significant other, it can be a, a, a brother or sister, or just a a mentor or advisor, and be willing to listen to that advice because sometimes. Uh, a, mo- a moment of clarity comes when someone um, strikes us across the forehead with a proverbial two by four uh, to help us see reality as it really is. Let's go a little bit more to your two R's so people can understand those a little bit more. Maybe we can see how we can help people use them in their businesses or their lives 
to help get to a higher level of where they want to be. Yeah, so first of all, you have to have a vision for where it is that you want to go. And, and uh, you know, I like, to, I like to use the terms mission, vision, values. And we have a very simple framework that we use, whether it's individual success planning or it's organizational and business success planning. But to, to establish a destination three or four years down the road, preferably three years with the way things change, uh, three years is a, is a pretty good time frame to say, here, here is the specific destination that I aspire to arrive at or, or that I aspire to achieve. It can be an income level. It can be a revenue level for a business. It can be, uh, to, to attain a degree of notoriety or recognition if you're a business, but you have to know what the, what it is. And it has to be specific enough that at the appointed time, three years down the road, you can get there and look back and answer the question definitively. Did we arrive? Did we achieve? Uh, or did we not? And so to know what that destination is, is critical as, as, uh, as our friend, um, uh, Napoleon Hill said that definiteness of purpose. What's the definite de- destination that we look to achieve? And then stepping back and saying, okay, then what has to happen for me to get there? If, uh, if it's three years out, then what four or five or six things must I absolutely accomplish simultaneously for that destination or that vision to become a reality? And, uh, and again, very definitive, objective, uh, measurable things that must be accomplished. And if those are the things that must be accomplished in the same time period as our vision, that three years, then what has to happen in the next 12 months for me to get at least a third of the way there? Because if I'm not a third of the way to my three-year destination in 12 months, then I'm already off track. Uh, and then we begin to break that down into, okay, what do I need to be doing quarterly, monthly, weekly, and daily in order to move me in that direction. You know, I've, I've taught, uh, in just about every age from, from seventh grade Sunday school to, uh, to, uh, high schools and colleges and even in the professional working world. And I've never seen a subject so undertaught as goal setting, action planning and progress moder- monitoring. That is just about the most undertaught subject in any educational setting that I've ever been exposed to. That's important. And I think people have to realize that those are some of the stepping stones to success. And I think, uh, you know, people should do this on a regular time. You know, people, you know, people sometimes say, well, I'm going to set my goals for this year. But within six months, I think 95% of people have forgotten that. I've tried right. what they planned, just like they broke their New Year's resolutions. I, I tried. There was 95% break their New Year's resolutions within three weeks of doing it, which is not good. That's right. And, and so what are some things that you can do, whether it's resolutions or life goals, what are some things that you can do that increase the likelihood that you're, that you're going to achieve those? Number one is is share it with someone, right? Establish an accountability mechanism, an accountability partner. In our consulting practice, you know, we have a number of competitors out there that do strategic planning uh, for organizations. What they don't do 
is they don't follow up with an execution plan behind that strategic plan. They develop this plan and then they go and sit it on the shelf uh, for, for 11 months. And then at, at, in November, they pull it out, they blow it off and they say, well, let's see how we did. And they go, oh, we didn't do very good on that one. Well, we didn't do very good on that one either. And what really needs to happen is we have to uh, establish an execution plan around those goals, objectives, that strategic plan or what have you, and then have an accountability mechanism to look at it on a monthly basis, a quarterly basis, a semi-annual basis and what have you. So that's number one, establish an accountability mechanism. If it's just a New Year's resolution, tell a friend. You know, I remember uh, I decided I was going to run two miles three times a week back several years ago. And and I invited a friend to join me. And there were mornings when the alarm clock would go off at five o'clock and I wouldn't want to get out of bed because it was 35 degrees and go outside and run two miles. But I knew that my friend was going to be waiting on me. And that degree of accountability got me out of bed and got me motivated. People think that you have to get motivated to take action. And experience shows us that when we take action out of discipline or some degree of accountability mechanism, motivation generally tends to follow. The second thing that I would say about achieving our goals and, and, and doing those things that we aspire to do is when we establish a goal, make it a self-referenced goal. And what I mean by that is let's say it's to lose weight just because that's an easy example. Uh, I need to, you know, I, I want to lose 10 pounds or, or, or I want to weigh 185 pounds. Okay. The self-reference of that is, okay, what do I weigh today? Well, I weigh 195 pounds today and I want to weigh 185. So then how do I take that differential, that difference, that delta, that 10 pounds, and how do I break that down into a reasonable time frame in order to achieve it? Could be done with money. Uh, it could be done with uh, academic credentials or what have you. I have to know where I'm starting from in order to know what I have to do to get where I'm going. So those are two examples that I would use. Okay, so again, let's go back to the, the two R's and bring it to the lives now. Let's see if we can make both of those R's uh, so that people can, moving forward, use those uh, to even make things even more important. Yeah, so results in relationships, right? So if you think about some of the things that, uh, that are more results-oriented behaviors, uh, first and foremost are the ones we've been talking about. Uh, uh, goal setting, action planning, and progress monitoring, uh, being able to manage multiple priorities, being able to set priorities, being able to focus through distractions, uh, being able to remember things. And if we can't remember them in our brain, we remember them on a piece of paper. Uh, I can't remember the name of the gentleman who wrote the book, Getting Things Done, off the top of my head. But he said, the mind is a great place to have ideas, but it's a terrible place to keep them. Right. And so we have to keep them somewhere else, either on a notepad or an iPad or a phone or what have you. So those are all results oriented types of competencies and capabilities and behaviors. Then on the relationship side, you know, we have things like communication. Uh, we have things like uh, 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 problem solving and relationship building, team building, uh, being able to give feedback, constructive feedback. And I like to teach this process called feedback without fallout, uh, where we're able to share 
uh, some observations for someone in a way that helps them understand the issue that we're having without accusing them or putting them on the defensive or what have you. And so there are these uh, general things. Stephen Covey talked about the um, the emotional bank account, imagining that every interaction that we have with one another uh, is just like a banking transaction. And I'm either making deposits into your emotional bank account or I'm making withdrawals from your emotional bank account based upon how I behave and interact with you during that interaction. And if I take more withdrawals uh, than I make deposits, then just like at the bank, I'm going to get an overdraft notice, right? Uh, you're going to shut down. You're not going to interact with me in a positive fashion because I've taken from you more than I've given. I just want to make sure that we cover two points. And one is, Jeff, how do you have a fantastic life on a personal level? Say that again. I, I missed that question. How do you have a fantastic life? How do I have a fantastic one? Yes. Um, you know, first and foremost, um, my family is very important to me. And, uh, and so I keep, a, uh, I keep a very significant level of priority uh, on things that give me joy and spending time with my wife and my two adult children and their significant others give me a, a great degree of joy. And so we have a little place uh, about uh, an hour and a half north of here, a little less than an hour and a half north of here. It's in a very rural area of Arkansas on a lake. And uh, and it doesn't matter if it's uh, summer, uh, fall, winter or spring. Uh, we love to be up there together, spending time with one another during the summer. We're on a boat. Uh, we're on in the water. We might play a little golf together. During the during the winter, fall and winter, we're probably in the woods hiking or maybe even doing a little hunting. Um, but but I keep very much at the forefront of my mind the things you know. Work is hard. W work is hard, and and even even if we're achieving all of our life's dreams and desires, it still takes an emotional and a physical toll on us. And so having those outlets is is one of the first things that I do to make sure that I'm, that I'm achieving balance. Excellent. Excellent. Now, flip side of this is how do you recognize, recommend our listeners have a fantastic life? Well, uh, first and foremost, as I said a few moments ago, know where you're going, know where it is that you're going and, and hone your activities toward the fulfillment of that direction. So uh, if, if you know you're trying to take your business to a certain level, uh, whether that's revenue wise, whether that's geographic expansion or what have you, then limit the potential for distractions by refusing to consider things business wise that don't contribute to that direction. You know, they say that that a plan is nothing but the process of planning is everything. And so have going through the process of of wrestling with where you want to be, who you want to be, whether that's as an individual or as an organization, wrestling with those things and then establishing that. That's a very critical process. But then you have to have the discipline behind it to say, no, I'm not going to focus on that because that could potentially distract me from where I'm going. So that's number one. Number two, then, is to have milestones along the way. You know, for instance, um, if I were to drive from Arkansas to New York, um, I wouldn't 
get in the car and tell my wife, she says, well, which direction are we going to go? We said, well, we're going to just go east until we see big water. Then we're going to turn left. That's not a good way to get to New York. I mean, we would ultimately get there, right? Um, but we're going to make a lot. We're going to get distracted a lot of times with twists and turns along the way. So so having a roadmap usually comprised of some interim milestones on a monthly, quarterly, annual basis that you can measure your progress to determine, are you on track? Are you not? If you are, fantastic. What's the next series of, of milestones? And if you're not, how do you regroup, refocus, recalibrate, and start off again? Fantastic, Jeff. Thank you very much. And Jeff, how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to? So they can always find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, they can find me at uh, Jeff S at innovationjunkie.com, innovationjunkie.com, or Jeff at jeffstandridge.com. Excellent. And, and just spell your name again so people can make sure that they get your spelling of your name in case they want to sure. It's Jeff Standridge. That's J-E-F-F. And the second F is silent. Little joke for you there. Uh, <laughs> Standridge, uh, and I, I like to pronounce it as I stand on a ridge. Jeff Standridge, S-T-A-N-D-R-I-D-G-E. And, and how can they get your best-selling book? Maybe you can repeat the cut, the name of your book since I tripped over it the last time. Sure. And- I, actually, I actually have a couple of them uh, that I, my, I've got personal copies written on here. But you've got the uh, the Top Performers Field Guide, Catalyst for Leaders, Superstars, and All Who Aspire to Be. And then the Innovators Field Guide, Accelerators for Entrepreneurs, Innovators, and Change Agents. And they can find these uh, certainly at I- anywhere they buy books, uh, certainly on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, and what have you. They can also find them on uh, at jeffstandridge.com if they're interested. Fantastic. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for being here today, and thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, and I appreciate the invitation. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic.